Major support for Carolina Business Review provided by Colonial Life, providing benefits to employees to help them protect their family, their finances, and their futures. High Point University, the premier life skills university, focused on preparing students for the world as it is going to be. And Sonoco, a global manufacturer of consumer and industrial packaging products and provider of packaging services with more than 300 operations in 35 countries. Historic issues in things like unemployment slash employment, supply chain, education, and of course, hospitality and restaurants over the last year and a half or so. And we've got plenty to talk about. I am Chris William and welcome again to the most widely watched and longest running program on Carolina business policy and public affairs seen each and every week across North and South Carolina for more than 30 years. In a moment, we kick off this week's discussion and later on, he is the CEO of Golden Corral. So what has that been like in restaurants? We will start in just a moment. We hope you stay with us. Gratefully acknowledging support by Martin Marietta, a leading provider of natural resource-based building materials, providing the foundation upon which our communities improve and grow. Blue Cross Blue Shield of South Carolina, an independent licensee of the Blue Cross and Blue Shield Association. Visit us at SouthCarolinaBlues.com. The Duke Endowment, a private foundation enriching communities in the Carolinas through higher education, health care, rural churches, and children's services. On this edition of Carolina Business Review, Tony Macia from the Charlotte Ledger, John Lummis of Upstate SC Alliance, and special guest Lance Trenary, CEO of Golden Corral. John, Tony, welcome to the show. Uh, John, I'm going to start with you. You know, you can't turn on some, a business news channel or read a headline or doesn't have to be business news about this, this issue of supply chain issues, shortages into the months and maybe even years. So in what you're seeing, John, how does, what does that look like on the ground? How long does a supply chain issue uh, the crisis last? Is it a crisis? Well, I mean, right now, you know, if you like, say, if you turn on TV, if you're listening to the news, I mean, really, it's a worldwide crisis um, that has affected us over the last year, and it, it seems that um, it's moving forward. Um, you know, from the state of South Carolina, the Upstate, it is certainly affecting some of our businesses. But a couple of things that we're lucky about, I know you said you had Jim Newsom on with the SC Port um, the other the other week, um, and our port is really not experience um, those wait times like what you see on the West Coast and other places. We still have some concerns there um, with getting it in and out, but, but we, we fared a lot better with that. Then we have what we call the Inland Port in Greer, which is here in the upstate of South Carolina. And that has helped us to some extent with, um, you know, being able to get goods and services to the port by rail and some of the efficiencies there. So. I think we're in fairly decent shape there in regard to supply chain. However, it is still a big uh, concern with not only our manufacturers, but a lot of the other folks. But um, I think what we've seen since uh, the pandemic started have, have been fractured supply chains, um, you know, from overseas, particularly, um, you know, food shortages and some, you know, to some extent, um, supplies of steel, lumber, different things. One of the things that we 
have really been able to take advantage of, though, and we're seeing a lot more prospect activity with companies that want to be in uh, eastern U.S. location that they can get their goods and services out, particularly food and beverage. We're seeing a real uptick in food and beverage, beverage projects because one day's driving distance of the upstate of South Carolina, there are 110 million consumers. So companies that may have been operating on the West Coast, may have been operating um, in Europe, are really starting to look here for their distribution network. So I guess that would be the silver lining of a dark cloud, um, that, that things are better in our area than some other areas of the country. You know, Tony, as you listen to John, obviously John describes upstate South Carolina, heavy manufacturing, rich environment. In the Charlotte region, in the Piedmont, different story. A lot of manufacturing, of course, but how, how do you how do you see it from your perch? This this issue about supply chain. Yeah, I mean, it, obviously, a lot of different causes going into that. You know, you, you have the supply side of things, overseas factories, shipping costs, um, but you know, there's also the demand side of things. And you know, people that we talk to, just with the Charlotte Ledger, they're they're telling us they're just seeing it. It's it's hard to predict this demand coming out of the pandemic. So it's it's a couple of different things. You know, you talk to people who build houses or who work in construction, developers, I mean, they've always to some extent had some troubles getting materials, but now it's just really exacerbated. I think you're gonna see delays. Um, you know, there are, there's always been delays in construction, right? But I think that you're gonna see those um, exacerbated, certainly in the Charlotte market, you know, a lot of that really hasn't slowed down. You know, we've, we've got shortages of all kinds of things, consumer goods, um, you know, the, the ABC stores here, a lot of them, the shelves are bare of liquor, um, you know, a lot of causes behind that. But um, it's really playing out in a bunch of different ways. I mean, you know, a lot of it is, I think, driven by this just-in-time inventory um, apparatus, the, the way, you know, they used to manage inventories. I, you know, that's now you're seeing how fragile that is. So it's, um, you know, it's, it's pretty widespread. It's playing out all over the place. John, uh, back to you. So. We take supply chain. We take, as Tony talked about, just-in-time inventories. But you can't, it, it, the, all of these issues are not indivisible from labor, from the workforce, single largest cost in most businesses. So when you hear about, on top of that, the issues about labor and the, and that the gap is even wider between those who are looking to hire and those who are out looking for a job, is that a crisis? Same question. I wouldn't say it's a crisis, but it's a concern and definitely an issue, again, all over the country. Um, one of the things that, that I work on is connecting with what we call site consultants, which mm -hmm. are you know, individuals or companies that work with companies on relocations. And that is always the number one issue that we hear from them is, is labor and workforce. How am I gonna get my people? How is this company gonna get our people? We have 11 site consultants in our region last week and that is the number one concern um and you know in south carolina as across the country labor is tight i mean it's gotten tighter since uh, you know the pandemic because a lot a lot of skilled workers have stayed on the sidelines but you know the only thing we can do is try to keep that pipeline going um to get workers into really manufacturing jobs because our we have two thousand manufacturers in the upstate region 100 15,000 people working in manufacturing. So that really drives the economy. Um, and I think one of the things that you may have seen this week, our governor has proposed um, using um, some of the, the COVID relief funds um, for uh, certificate um, training programs in high demand positions. Truck driving is the number one high demand position that we have, which is key to 
our supply chain and our logistics, but a number of manufacturing related things. So we're, we're trying to make some um, headway on that, but the key is um, getting people trained and getting them into these jobs. And, and that's, I mean, I worked in the technical college system for eight years before this job. That's always the key is marketing and getting people to go into the programs. You know, back, just a quick follow-up on it. You talk about the South Carolina technical college system and in North Carolina, obviously, the community college system. Are they, are they fairly taxed with the, are they unfairly taxed, John, with the idea that they have got to be the solution to figure out the skilled labor issue, or is there, and again, very quickly, is there another way to include, like maybe going to school boards and having school boards and public schools understand that some of these kids coming out of K through 12 can maybe find the job as an, as yeah. an apprentice? And you know, it really even starts before that. I mean, right. career centers um, are the key to getting the kids that are in middle school and high school to start thinking about what their career path is going to be. We have a youth apprenticeship program in South Carolina. I'm sure they have that in North Carolina. And really the key to that is not only the schools having the programs, but then the businesses, the manufacturing community, supporting those programs and hiring these students to start getting trained in high school so they can move into those jobs soon after high school. Um, several companies in our region have really been focused on that, BMW, Michelin, Bosch, and others, on trying to get those kids as early as possible to get them in that track. And I think it's incumbent on companies as well as the educational system to help drive the students into those careers. Yeah, well, let's hope they, they get some success in that. Tony, you get the last question, about a minute left, uh, in Charlotte. Uh, within the last two weeks, a fairly meaningful development in the uh, around the issue of DEI or diversity, equity, inclusion, and that is uh, Charlotte, with all of its corporate uh, citizens, have raised about two or have committed about two hundred and fifty million, um, and that may, number may be higher. And I know you know about this, but Charlotte Mayor Vi Lyles uh, has a racial equity initiative that looks to invest that $250 million in DEI broadly. Um, how how um, optimistic are you that this total amount will be raised? And do you feel like it will find the proper home? Yeah, I mean, I think certainly city leaders are very optimistic that they can get there. They already have commitments for, I think, $196 million. That's a combination of public money coming from federal COVID funds as well as private philanthropy, much of which comes from Charlotte's big companies, uh, the banks, healthcare systems, uh, things like that. And I mean, they're going to use that money, um, they say, to help uh, for a number of different initiatives, improving Johnson C. Smith, a historically uh, black college, um, you know, helping to eliminate the digital divide, making sure that, you know, kids have laptops and can get you know, wired in, you know, regardless of, um, you know, their socioeconomic status, improving some distressed corridors. So th there's really been, um, as you know, Chris, I mean, a big emphasis on diversity, equity, and inclusion over the last year and a half or so for by corporate America. They want to be involved in that conversation. They want to make sure that as Charlotte grows, that it grows equitably. So, you know, they're certainly earmarking it towards places where it will help. I mean, I, I don't know anybody says it's going to solve these problems, but, you know, the hope is it would make them, you know, make them better. We were talking before the program, who hasn't been to Golden Corral uh, at some point? It is basically institutionalized comfort food. We have now the president and CEO. Lance, welcome to the program. So who hasn't been, been to Golden Corral? I'm sure you hear the stories and people talk about Golden Corral probably pretty affectionately. 
I absolutely, uh, you know, I've had the uh, honor of being with Golden Crowd for 36 years. And as you know, we're a North Carolina founded organization. We were founded in Fayetteville. And um, it's just, it's fantastic to hear family stories, family from uh, military. Um, it's a celebration place for uh, graduations or uh, even we do a lot of rehearsal dinners. You'd be uh, surprised at how many weddings we cater. Um, it's just our tagline is the only one for everyone. And so it's a great place for everyone to find something that they can enjoy at Golden Corral. Lance, uh, in the early days of the pandemic, uh, we were, I think, a lot of people surprised by the deep effect on hospitality and certainly restaurants. How did Golden Corral fare and where are you now? Well, I appreciate you asking that. Um, you know, the restaurant industry as a whole was deeply affected. Over 90,000 restaurants across the country have closed permanently. And so the industry was um, dramatically affected by the pandemic. And the pandemic single-handedly uh, handed the buffet industry a devastating blow. Uh, most in our segment did not make it. Um, but Golden Corral, we fared uh, well, um, we've survived, and we're now back in a position to thrive and grow again. Uh, we started with about 482 restaurants pre-pandemic. Uh, we have 360 restaurants reopened now, and we have about another 40 that are in the pipeline that are currently hiring crews, remodeling their restaurants, and preparing to reopen sometime between now and the first quarter of 2022. So, we're excited about our recovery, but at the end of the day, we lost 70 to 80 restaurants during the pandemic. That was just, it was heartbreaking. Some of them, uh, even right here in North Carolina, were right at the end of their lease and our franchisees chose not to renew with the uncertainty of the future and the way things were looking in the early days of, uh, of COVID. So um, you certainly understand that, but the good news is we've got a lot of markets being redeveloped now, and we've actually begun selling uh, new entities uh, to join Golden Corral, not only in the United States, but we actually are working with a group in Mexico now, and we opened a restaurant in Puerto Rico. So we've got a lot of uh, fun irons in the fire, so to speak. Mm -hmm. John, question? Oh. Uh, yes, sir. Um, Lance, very... Uh... I'm very proud of Golden Corral and what y'all have done, particularly in North Carolina and South Carolina. I was telling uh, Chris earlier that the first one I ever went to was in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, where I went to college. Yes. And uh, we have one in Anderson, South Carolina, where I live now, and it's always packed. But my question is, um, in regard to workforce, what are you seeing? Um, I know there's workforce shortages all across the board. Um, and, you know, sure. we deal with a lot of manufacturing here, but, but all across the board, um, what are you seeing in your ability to attract uh, workforce, to retain workforce, and then how has that impacted y'all's ability um, to operate during the yes. pandemic and moving through that? Well, it's, it's a great question and very relevant because it's the number one issue in the hospitality industry right now. Um, as a whole, the industry is down 1 million jobs across the country. Right here in North Carolina, we have 50,000 open hospitality jobs. So it's a significant issue across the board, but at Golden Corral in particular, um, we have about 5,000 open positions um, across the country uh, for our, our particular brand, about 125 open management positions across the country. So it definitely has impacted. When I mentioned earlier that we had 40 restaurants that are 
in the hopper, so to speak, getting ready to open, um, they are really being held back by their ability to hire, retract, you know, retain, and and get people trained into our restaurants. So it has obviously been a, uh, a significant challenge. The good news is, is that we have an incredibly loyal workforce um, that we're a part of Golden Crowd. We're a 48 year old brand, and we've got many coworkers that have been with us 20, 25 years um, at a lot of our locations. So all of those folks, as we began to reopen through the summer next year or last year and through the, the fall, they were eager to come back and rejoin us. But unfortunately, what happened during the early days of the pandemic when we had to shut down um, as a result of COVID, all those folks had to find work. And so they began leaving the industry. And so they're in you know, other jobs now, whether it be manufacturing or retail, and they're in a position now that they're just not able to come back to the hospitality industry. So we're having to get very creative as the way we think about bringing coworkers back into not only Golden Corral, but the, the restaurant industry as a whole. Um, things like childcare is incredibly important to us now. And, and the way that we think about how we help supplement that for coworkers. Of course, wages and benefits, that's always been you know, important to our folks. But I think really now us focusing on being the employer of choice making sure that we have an environment that offers flexibility, that offers a lot of different career options, education support, all of those things are critically important to attracting the best of the workforce now and getting people to re-enter the hospitality segment. Um, it, it is a challenge though. And, you know, um, there's, there's a lot of, lot of barriers to people rejoining the hospitality industry right now. And so it's been a slow recovery in that regard. Lance, uh, let, and, and Tony, I'm going to give you a second here, but Lance, let me ask you this question. Uh, considering that we have viewers in North and South Carolina, are there, is there a difference between the reopening and the re-engagement of, of the team members between North and South Carolina, or is it generally the same? No, um, really, our, our Carolina stores, uh, both North and South, um, are, are behaving very similarly. Yeah. Um, that both, both states are, uh, these two states are actually performing uh, better than our system average. Um, so we're, we're pleased with where we're going, but they're still facing a lot of the same challenges that we are in the Midwest or even on the West Coast. Okay, Tony, question? Yeah, I'd just like to dig in a little bit more on sort of this. Uh, it just seems so fascinating to me about how you lead through something like this. I mean, you always have a demanding job as leader of this, this big company, but you know, the, the pandemic hits and you're having to manage all kinds of things, employees, uh, you know, franchise relationships, deal with stores, new regulations that vary in all different jurisdictions that you're in. I, I just wonder, you know, for our viewers out there, I mean, how, what's the, what were some of the lessons from that? How did you go about that? How did you, tackle that? Did you bring in consultants? Did you have emergency meetings? I mean, I, I just want to know what that looks like and what the lessons are for other people that need to, that are going to be forced to make change in their organizations. Well, it's, it's a great question. And uh, I tell you, it's been one solid emergency meeting since March of last year. So <laughs> it's been uh, constant. But, you know, um, I, I credit our team. Uh, we have an incredible uh, senior leadership team and the team here at Golden Corral and our franchisees have been incredibly resilient. Um, they've really been very resourceful and creative and trying to find ways through this. And I think this collaborative spirit of, of really trying to achieve, at Golden Crow, we have something that James Maynard, our founder, 
started and Easter Maynard, his, his daughter, uh, has perpetuated. We have a hundred year plan at our company. It was it existed prior to pre to COVID. And um, basically what that means is that all the decisions we make are consistent with us being in business for at least a hundred years. And so it's a long-term view of our business. And so as we entered into COVID, we kept that very much in mind. And I think a lot of the things that we've worked on through the past 47 years prior to COVID really came back to pay off. The relationships we have with banks, the relationships we have with vendors. We've always tried to make sure that we do the right thing. We're always very transparent with everyone that we operate with. And we try to be fair and honest when every single thing that we, that we uh, go about. And so when COVID hit, we found that landlords, uh, lenders, vendors, everyone was very willing to work with us and to help us try to find a path through this. And I think that's been a lot of the success factors we've had, but we had to introduce flexibility like we've never had before. Um, we, we in, in the early days, because of COVID, um, it changed our business model. Um, it caused us to introduce protocol that that we have never even really thought about. Um, we had to test new innovative ideas, things like cafeteria style or delivering the buffet to the table, um, introduced entrees into the restaurants. Uh, we've tested alcohol. Um, there's just a, a list a mile long of things that we were willing to try to try to generate enough revenue to keep our franchisees moving forward and really buying enough time so that we could start seeing recovery. And to be honest with you, the recovery for us really didn't start as fast as it did in the restaurant as in the rest of the industry. Um, because being a buffet and the uncertainty around um, the touch points and things of that nature, people were a little reluctant in the early days to, to return to Golden Corral. But uh, because of our reputation and because of our uh, community involvement and engagement, people slowly started you know, returning. And once they came in, they were locked. I mean, uh, they, were, they were very much back a, a fan of our, our company because they saw all the safety and sanitation protocol that we had put in place. They saw all the innovation that was going on inside the four walls. And so as we began to emerge from the deepest or darkest part of the, the pandemic, then we really started accelerating the innovative ideas around revenue growth and trying to think of ways to uh, really attract our most loyal and, and heavy and medium users. Our most loyal guest eats with us pre-COVID 70 times a year. I mean, they are loyal. <laughs> That's They represent about 17% of our, our total guest base, but they're 64% of our traffic. So um, people that love Golden Corral absolutely love Golden Corral. And we wanted to make sure that we were catering to them, that we were you know, making sure that they had their, their favorites, their comfort foods that Chris mentioned earlier. Um, we wanted to make sure and have those available and to execute them at a level that they were so excited to be able to enjoy again. So it's been, a, it's been an interesting uh, 18 months. We've learned a lot. Um, we've grown together. Our franchise community and our, our company operations, are, we're in communication daily. Uh, that was another key factor throughout this entire ordeal was that the communication had to be constant. Um, I think in the absence of communication, people's minds start running wild and uh, they, 
they can create a lot of bad scenarios without the proper error correct information. So we were constantly reinforcing what was really going on. We were very transparent. We told the good, the bad, and the ugly. And uh, we wanted to make sure that everyone was able to see a path forward, um, but yet understand the reality of where we are. And then- we, we, and, and I'm sorry, I don't want to interrupt you, but we're going to run out of time. We have less than two oh, minutes. Yes, yes. And John, please, uh, last question. Yeah, sure. Um, one of the other issues we were talking about a little earlier was in regard to supply chain and the fractured supply chains that have occurred during COVID. Have you seen difficulties in getting your food and your supplies to your stores since, you know, COVID? No, we have, about a minute. A, we have about a minute, Lance. Sure. It's been a big problem. Um, the supply chain, uh, we've got to work with the government to try to loosen regulations around trucking and the port. Um, you know, our, we have products sitting in ports in Los Angeles right now that we can't get to our restaurants. Um, the supply chain is so backed up that there's not a week goes by that we don't have uh, a, an issue. And so that's why the, the restaurant industry has recovered in sales, but our margins are being squeezed dramatically with rising commodity costs, supply chain issues, wage and hour issues, or, or workforce. And so that's why things like, you know, right now in the, in the North Carolina uh, budget, there's a $500 million provision to help hospitality or small business grants. And we're really hopeful that that passes because our franchisees, our independent business owners, absolutely need that funding to be able to progress and, and move forward in the, into the future. Lance, I, I, I hate to say we're out of time because all the information you've been sharing and articulating is, is it kept us wrapped. Um, thank you for your leadership at Golden Corral and please come back because we clearly haven't unpacked everything, but best of luck going forward and we'll think differently now standing in the buffet line, but thank you, Lance. Well, thank you, I appreciate everyone's time. Thank you, thank John, you. good to see you again. Tony, thank thanks you for being so on the program. Happy weekend, until next week, I'm Chris William. Good night. Major funding for Carolina Business Review provided by High Point University, Martin Marietta, Colonial Life, The Duke Endowment, Sonoco, Blue Cross Blue Shield of South Carolina, and by viewers like you. Thank you.